competition, greenhouse against the blue house, and I was in the greenhouse, and I hated rugby, all right, because I, I, back in the day, I was not the physical specimen of athleticism, that wasn't a joke actually, that was a serious bit, that you see before you tonight, I was weedy, I was thin, I was a musician, uh, I said this morning, I was more of a, of, of a kind of a lover than a fighter, you know, that kind of thing, and so here we were on this really cold wintry day, and all of the lads had to go to the uh, field and into the uh, changing room, and I had to change into this rugby gear, and, but it was alright, because I knew there was no way they'd get me on the pitch, because I was rubbish, Okay, so I'm sat on the bank and everything's fine and the green are playing the blue. I'm in the greenhouse. The blue house were winning. They were really winning because they had a secret weapon. His name was Nathan Orme. And Nathan Orme didn't like me. And to be honest, I didn't like him. He was huge. He was mean. He was ugly. His nose was like flared. Even his name, Nathan Orme, it sounds like something from Middle Earth. It sounds like an orc. And he looked like an orc. And he hated me. And I thought, it's all right because you're playing rugby. And I'm just sat on the bank. And it will be absolutely fine. No problem at all. And then disaster struck. Because we had an injury to one of our players. And so the teacher turned to me and said, Evans, that's my last name, you're on, get on. And I'm looking around, seeing if there's anyone else called Evans, and there wasn't, so it was just me. And I said, but sir, you don't really want me. I'm more of a lover than a fighter. I'm a musician. He said, Evans, get on. So I get on, and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, there's only a few minutes left. We're a couple of points behind. We're going to lose anyway, because Nathan Orme is on their team, and he hates me, and that's all right, because I'll just keep away. And I had a strategy, and the strategy was this, just keep away from the ball. You just got a couple of minutes there. As long as you don't have the ball, life will be safe. But then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I got a hold of the ball. <laughs> and I've got the ball in my arm. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, what do I do with this ball? And I could see and hear and feel the ground rumble as Nathan Orme said, Evans, I'm going to kill you. So then what do I do? And then I scroll through the options in my head. What do I do with this ball? Do I hide it up my jumper? Some of you are thinking that's what you've already done tonight, but I haven't actually done that. I do that. Do I throw it to someone else? Do I kick it as far as I can? Or do I run as fast as I can with it? And as I'm thinking about that, I can hear and feel Nathan Orme coming to me. And I did the option that I thought was best at the time. I ran as fast as I possibly could. Fortunately, I ran in the right direction. And I ran so fast that nobody could catch me. Nathan Orme couldn't catch me. And I could hear like his breath on, from his nostrils on the back of my head. And he's scratching at the bib, you know, the green bib and the, and the shirt and everything. But I ran so far and so fast that when I passed the line, the, the, the post, I just kept on running. All right, and so I heard the teacher say, Evans, touch the ball down, and we've won a try and we've won the match. The reason I share that story with you is because as I was out on my bike this week, and I was thinking about this story, and I thought, do you know what? Doubt is a lot like this ball, because you don't want it, you don't expect it, it comes flying at you, you grab it, and you think, what do I do with this? And when I grabbed hold of the ball all those years ago, fear, uncertainty, panic, just grab, grip, grip me so much. And that's often what happens when we doubt. You see, doubt brings uncertainty. We're not sure what to do with this thing. What do we do with this thing called doubt? Do we stick it up our jumper and pretend it's not there? Do we try and give it to somebody else? Do we kick it as far away as we can? Or do we run with it? And so what I'm going to say to you, good catch there. What I'm going to share with you this morning is based on this whole idea that I believe that every single person doubts. Every single one of us doubts, because doubt is about uncertainty. And what happens in life is that we get uncertain from time to time. 
You know, things happen in our life. You know, life is about that. And whether you're a Christian tonight or not, if you're not a Christian tonight, you'll have moments in your life where you'll get uncertain about things. You'll start to doubt. You will start to question. But if you are a Christian, you will also have these doubts and questions as well. You see, when it comes to faith, everybody doubts. Even atheists doubt. C.S. Lewis was a a famous British writer. He was very intelligent. He was a professor at Oxford and he was an atheist and then he became a Christian and he wrote books like uh, Lion, Witch and the Wardrobe and other incredible books. And he said this, he said, now that I am a Christian, I do have moods in which the whole thing looks very improbable. But when I was an atheist, I had moods in which Christianity looked terribly probable. So an atheist doubts and a Christian doubts So whoever you are tonight, you're in really good company. So I want to speak to you, if you are a Christian, about your doubts. But if you're not a Christian, I want to speak to you about your doubts and questions as well. So if you're not a Christian tonight, you might doubt the existence of God. But if you are a Christian, you might come to moments in your life, even tonight, when you doubt the goodness of God or the faithfulness of God. You might be someone who says, well, I couldn't be a Christian because I have doubts. But you might be someone that says, how can I call myself a Christian when I have doubts? Listen, whether you have doubts or not, you're human. You're human. And all of us doubt sometimes. But God is greater than our doubts. Isn't that good news? God is greater than our doubts. You see, we don't live life this way. We don't live life thinking, you know, uh, if, if there was no doubt and no uncertainty, then that would be great. We don't do relationships like that. We don't do that. You see, when we fall in love with someone, we have a relationship with someone, there will come some doubts. There will come some uncertainty. Because if you don't have doubts and you don't have uncertainty, then there's no need for trust and there's no need for faith. It's a little bit like that film. Some of you may have seen it a long time ago called The Stepford Wives. This was a film about this kind of community where all the women were absolutely immaculate and perfect and they did whatever their husbands wanted them to do. And at the end of the film, you realise that these women weren't real, they were robots. And so, I mean, this was was the story that actually they, they looked immaculate. They didn't go to work, they kept the house immaculate. When their husband came back from work, they had his meal ready for him on the table, his favourite meal. They were there to do whatever their husband wanted. I mean, who would want a wife like that? Yeah, not me. (laughs) But the reality is we don't want that because where's the uncertainty? Where's the trust? Where's the faith? You see, you don't need it. You don't need it when everything is certain, but we don't live in a certain life, do we? And if you're thinking right now, do you know what? There's just so much uncertainty in my life, then I want you to know God is greater than that. God is greater than that. And you can bring your uncertainty and your doubts and your questions to him. So I want to say a few words to you this evening about doubt. Four things, really. Firstly, doubt is not the opposite of faith. Many people think that doubt is the opposite of faith. It's not. There's lots of reasons that people doubt the existence of God. One of the big reasons is evidence and proof. You know, they, they say things like, well, you can't prove God. To which I want to say, well, what do you mean by proof? Do you mean scientifically and what do you mean by that? And do you mean in a test tube? But we don't live life like that. You say, do you believe in love? Yes, well, prove it. Well, how do you want me to prove it? Scientifically, in a test tube, you can't do it. So people have all kinds of doubts about the existence of God based on, sci- on what they think is evidence and proof. But you know, God is so amazing and so big that he doesn't present himself in that kind of way. He presents himself in such a way that if you want to doubt him and not believe him, you can do that. You can do that. He gives you that free will and that choice. 
A guy called Pascal, who was a great writer a long time ago, he said this, there is enough light for those who want to see and enough darkness for those of a different persuasion. So if you want to say, well, I just don't believe in the existence of God, you are very free to do that. But you know what I do? I do. And you might say, well, how can you know that? Well, there's a whole load of reasons that I can say that. And some are, if you like, more scientific and more evidence-based and a lot are more experiential. But when we doubt the existence of God, we need to understand why are we, what is the basis of our doubt? What is the real question? You know, many people I've met, they say, oh, God doesn't exist. And I say, how do you know that? And they don't know. They say, well, the Bible's not true. I say, have you read it? No. How do you know it's not true? Have you ever looked at it? Have you ever asked any questions? Have you ever discovered it or explored it or done anything with it? And they say, no. I say, so how do you know that? Perhaps some of us need to start doubting our doubts a little bit more. So that's the first area. But the second one uh, is, is people doubt the existence of God because of the big questions of life, suffering and pain. How many of you were here last Sunday morning in our church? Many of you. What an amazing morning. If you weren't here, I want to encourage you to go on the website and get the podcast. Uh, Dave and Liz Austin, people from members of this church, told this story, uh, an incredibly powerful story about incredible pain and how they met God in the middle of that pain. And I said in that talk, you know, that when I talk to people about pain, I, I often say this. I say, look, I don't understand why this pain has happened to you. You know, I don't understand why this pain happens in the world, you know. It doesn't make much sense to me, even with God. But without God, it makes even less sense. And often people look at all the suffering in the world and they say, oh, there, you see, there's no God. Well, I can tell you this. There's all this suffering in the world and there's a whole load of reasons for that. But in the middle of that, you can experience God because he's greater than pain and he's greater than our doubts. And many people have questions about God because of Christians. They doubt the existence of God because of Christians. They say, listen, I don't believe in God because I know this really weird, crazy Christian. I know a few of them as well. But you see, I don't doubt the existence of God because of crazy Christians. Because I think Elvis is all right, but his fan club's really weird, you know. And uh, you remember a few years ago, some of you who are a bit older remember that there was a fan who was obsessed with Jodie Foster, the actress. And she was so obsessed that for some reason she went and tried to kill the president, President Reagan. But we don't blame Jodie Foster for what that crazy fan did, do we? So why do we look at Christians and say, well, that means that there isn't a God? That's not a great reason to doubt the existence of God. I think the main reason people doubt the existence of God isn't any of those things. It's because of their own circumstances in their life. Now, I want to introduce a character to you from the Bible who made doubting world famous. His name's Thomas. And in John chapter 20, verse 24 to 25, you can read about Thomas. It says this, now Thomas also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. So a little bit of backstory here. Thomas is one of the disciples who hung around with Jesus. And um, he saw Jesus, he touched Jesus, he heard Jesus, he, he ate with Jesus, he traveled with Jesus. And then Jesus is killed, he's crucified, and he's dead and buried and gone. And all of their hopes and all of their expectations were, were finished. And then the Bible says that a few days later, he rose again and he appeared to these disciples. He appeared to them. I know that's hard to get your head around if you're not a Christian, but he appeared to them, okay? And they went, wow, you are alive, you really are God. But Thomas wasn't with them. I don't know where he was, but he wasn't with them. And then when he came back, he said, what, what, you're all excited. Why are you all excited? And they said, we've seen Jesus. And Thomas doubts that. 
He says, I don't believe you. But he's not doubting it because he wants to doubt it. He really wants to believe it. But he doesn't believe it because he wasn't there. He didn't see it for himself. One of the things I thought of this morning when, when I was speaking the same message, I thought, you know, those three young people that you saw the stories, you know, they were all brought up in Christian homes. But they came to a point in their life when they wanted an experience for themselves. It wasn't enough to hear about it from their mom and dad. They wanted to touch Jesus themselves. That's a good thing, isn't it? And it might be that tonight that you're doubting God, but actually it's not because you want to doubt Him. You want to believe. You just are struggling to see it. Well, you're in really, really good company tonight. You know, Didymus, that name Didymus, which sounds like one of those Ken Dodd characters, if you're old enough to remember that. But that literally means twin. It means two. And and there's a clue here about what doubt really is. You see, belief is to be in one mind accepting. Unbelief is to be in one mind rejecting. But doubt is to be in two minds. I'm just not sure. I'm just kind of not sure. That's what doubt really means. That's what Thomas had. And you can be a Christian, you can be a follower of Jesus and still have some doubts. How do I know that? Because you're looking at one. Now I don't doubt the existence of God. I have done, but I don't now. But sometimes I do question. And sometimes there's been moments in my life when I say, God, I'm caught in two minds here. I don't really know what I believe. Why do you do this? Why do you allow that? And I have doubts and questions. I can still follow Jesus and have doubts. And so can you. Second thing I want to say is this, doubt is not unforgivable. Another character in the Bible who had doubts was John the Baptist. And again, a little bit of backstory here. John the Baptist was this amazing guy that wore these funky clothes and ate weird food and lived in the desert. And he was incredible, like he was the rock star of baptisms, okay? We had a few this morning, he had hundreds and hundreds. And he pointed towards Jesus and when Jesus came along, he baptised Jesus. And he said, this is God, this is God, look at him, this is God. And he was an amazing guy. But then the tide of opinion turned against him and he was taken into prison and he was put in prison. And he was listening to all that was happening about Jesus. And then in Matthew chapter 11, he says these really powerful, honest words. He says this, After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come Or should we expect someone else? Listen to what he's saying. Are you really the one or should we expect someone else? In other words, did I get it wrong? Why is he doubting? He's doubting because he's stuck in a prison and he's thinking, how on earth did I get here? I put my hope and my faith and my trust in you. I pointed people towards you. I baptized people. I said, go follow him. And here I am stuck in a prison. What on earth? is going wrong. And I just wonder tonight, you know, if there's some of us, and you're believers, but you find yourself stuck in a prison as well. Could be a relationship, could be a health situation, could be a work situation, could be anything, and you're stuck in a prison, and you're saying this thing, God, are you really the one? Are you really the one? Have I got it right? Anyone ever thought like that? Want to be brave enough? Some of you are thinking like that right now. You're not going to put your hand up because that's too real for you. But you know, I want you to know that it is not unforgivable to ask these questions. In fact, what Jesus says of John later, even after he'd heard all this, in verse 11, he says, Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. That is absolutely amazing. Doubt is not unforgivable. 
And if tonight you are doubting because you're stuck in some life circumstance and you're saying, God, are you really the one? You're in great company. You're in the company of John the Baptist. Third thing I want to say is this. Doubt is not a virus that will destroy you if you work with it. You know, in some diseases that you you get uh, immunizations against, the immunization is actually a dose of the disease. And it's put into your body to cause your antibodies to get stronger so you can fight the disease. Doubt can be like that. A little bit of doubt, a dose of doubt can actually cause your faith to grow stronger. It really can. Listen to this quote. Someone said this, Those who believe that they believe in God, but without passion in the heart, without anguish of mind, without uncertainty, without doubt, and even at times without despair, believe only in the idea of God and not in God himself. You know, if you've never thought of God and your belief in God with some level of anguish or doubt or uncertainty, even despair, I'm not sure you really believe in God at all. Perhaps you believe in the idea of God. But anybody, you look in the Bible, you look in history, you look in reality of of human beings, anybody who's really known God has had times when they've had that uncertainty and that anguish and that doubt. It makes us human. Fourth thing, last thing I want to say, and I want to open this up a little bit more tonight than I did this morning. Doubt can be dangerous if left untreated. Doubt can be dangerous if left untreated. You see, I want to kind of free up this whole thing of doubt because I think that it gets a, a negative press that I don't think is fair. But if you have doubt and you leave it untreated, it can eat away at you and be really dangerous. So it's not unforgivable and it can strengthen you, but what you do with it is absolutely crucial. So if you stick it up your jumper, if you try and fob it off to someone else, if you kick it as far away as you can, you're going to be in trouble. But if you run with it and don't let it take you where it wants to take you, it can really strengthen your faith. But if you leave it untreated, some things happen. We go through stages. Stage one is where someone becomes a skeptic. What's a skeptic? Basically, this is someone who suspends judgment. They're just not sure. This was Thomas. He was a skeptic. He wasn't sure, but he wanted to be. He didn't believe, but he wanted to believe. He was just in these two minds. But if you stay there too long, you get trapped. You miss out on so much of what God wants to do. And then even worse, you move from being a skeptic to being a cynic. And can I tell you, I've met so many Christians who have moved from being a skeptic to a cynic. See, that's a whole different thing. This is someone, they're not looking for answers now. They're just re- they've already reached conclusions and they're all negative. So this morning, you give a skeptic a hug and she will doubt you really mean it. You give a cynic a hug and he's going to check his wallet. Because that's just how he's looking. That's just how he is wired. He has moved from being open but not quite sure to actually being fixed and it's negative. And that is a cynic. Often they're wounded idealists. My experience of this is often this is somebody who's had a dream in their life, who's had a passion in their life and it hasn't come to pass. And then they blame God. And what happens is it's like there's a hardness, a case that comes around their heart and they become cynical. And they hear stories about people who've had their lives changed. Oh, yeah, but yeah, whatever. I don't really believe it. And they become cynical about absolutely anything. And the dangerous thing is if you stay as a cynic too long, you end up in the third place, which is the worst of all, and that's the rebel. So you start as a skeptic. You're in two minds. You're not sure. You want to believe. You go to a cynic where you say, I don't believe. And I'm looking. And then you go to a rebel where you say, do you know what? Even if you gave me all the evidence in the world, I don't want to believe. 
and you turn your face against God. And that's a really, really scary place to be. See, that was the place where the prodigal son, you remember that story? That's where he got to, where he turned himself so far away from the father that he became a rebel. It was only when he got to the bottom of his whole life and experience that he woke up and he came back towards the father, the rebel. Someone who doesn't want to believe. They don't want the story of Jesus to be true. It doesn't matter what evidence you put before them. They wouldn't believe it anyway. They've set their face against God. So how should we handle others who doubt? I'm sure you know people who are doubting right now. Believers who are doubting. There's a fantastic verse in the book of Jude, which is a really uh, quirky little book in the New Testament. And reading from the message, it says this, Go easy on those who hesitate in the faith. Go after those who take the wrong way. Be tender with sinners, but not soft on sin. You know, if you know anyone who doubts, go easy on them. Reach out to them. But can I tell you, try and catch them when they're a skeptic, not when they're a cynic or a rebel. Because if you don't catch them, if we don't help them there, if we don't love them, if we don't pray for them, if we don't try and support them, if we don't give them time, then very soon they can drift to be a cynic and even a rebel. And I can tell you what, when they get to that, there is very little we can do other than say, God, it's all over to you. It's all over to you. So what about you this evening as we draw to a close? How do you handle the doubts that you have? When you get given that rugby ball of doubt and it's in your arms, what do you do with it? Let me give you three things. Firstly, don't be afraid of your doubts. Don't be afraid of your doubts. God isn't afraid. He is greater than all of your doubts. Secondly, take them to God. You know, talk to God about them. He can handle it. There is nothing you can say that is going to shock God. You know, sometimes when I talk to people pastorally and they say, oh, I'm really angry with God and, and I want to say this to God. I say, well, go on then. And they say, yeah, but what will God do? I say, can I tell you what? He's not going to be shocked. He's really not going to be. He has heard everything that you could possibly say and a lot more. And he's greater than all of that. And actually, what he wants more than anything else is our honesty. I'm working, uh, not working, but trying to help a really, really close friend of mine at the moment who's going through a very difficult situation. He's not from this area at all. Every two or three days, I call him and talk to him. And some of the stuff that he's saying about God is really hard for me to listen to. But I just keep encouraging him to say, do you know what? Just tell him the truth. He can handle it. Whatever you want to say, whatever words you want to use, whatever language you want to use, just say it. Just give it to God. Because when you do that, then God is on your case. But when you don't do that and you bottle it up, it becomes hard. It becomes encased. It's like concrete around your heart and you're in trouble. So if you've got any doubts or questions... Don't be afraid of them. Give them to God. And thirdly, hang around and wait for God. Hang around and wait for God. Because when you're in that place of doubt and uncertainty, God is wanting to do something in your life and he will meet with you if you are open to meet with him. God will prove that he is greater than the doubts that you have. And I know this to be true from these two characters that we've looked at tonight. The first one was John the Baptist. How do I know that God is greater than our doubts? Because what John needed, God gave him. What John needed more than anything else in prison was just to hear a word from Jesus again. That's all he needed. So he sent his disciples to say to him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? And it says in Matthew 11, verse 4 and 5, Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. See, all John needed was just to hear from Jesus again. And he was in prison and he was waiting to hear from Jesus. And Jesus spoke. And Jesus said, all you need to do is to say to John, listen, this is what's happening. 
You're asking the question, am I the one? This is what's happening. Lives are being changed. Stuff's happening. And then they went and told John and John said, that's okay. He is the one. Yeah, I'm in prison. That's horrible. I don't understand. In fact, he, he then goes on to die for his faith. But he dies, not in doubt, he dies in faith. Because he heard Jesus speak a word into his life. What about Thomas? What Thomas needed wasn't a word from God. What Thomas needed was to meet Jesus himself. And Jesus did that for him because he is greater than our doubts. Listen in John 20, verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Through the door, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Now, he'd already appeared to them a week before, but he appears to them again a week later. Why? They're all saying, well, you've already done this. Yeah, but he wasn't there. I've come back a week later just for Thomas. And so then he turned around to Thomas and he says this. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are those who 2,000 years later, 3,000 miles from here, sitting in a church, at eight o'clock on a Sunday evening, an hour before Downton Abbey returns, you believe even though you haven't seen. Jesus was talking about you. Thomas, you're blessed because you've touched me. But you know, there's going to be people who don't touch me who believe. Because that's called faith, isn't it? Jesus is so gracious to Thomas to actually appear to him again because that's what he needed. Because he knew that Thomas really wanted to believe in God. He really wanted to believe Jesus. He wasn't a cynic. He was just a skeptic. He wasn't a rebel. He was just in two minds. And Jesus was so gracious that he appeared to all of them again just so that he could show Thomas that he loved him. I think that's amazing, don't you? Absolutely amazing. So this evening, what do you believe? Who do you believe in? And you know, it may be tonight that actually you are stuck in a prison and you desperately need to hear God speak. Or you're stuck in a place where you just want to believe, but you need to encounter God again. You need to encounter. I've been in those places myself where I said, God, only an encounter with you. I need an encounter with you. You hang around long enough. You are open enough. He'll show up. He'll show up. So what do you believe? I want to finish this evening by saying, telling you why I believe in God. Okay? And I've thought about, I've never really expressed this quite like this before. Before I did it this morning, I want to do it again tonight. What do I believe in God? I, I, I could tell you all kinds of you know, kind of reasons like, you know, archaeology and evidence and the Bible and, you know, all that kind of stuff and theology. I could do all that, but I don't want to do that. I believe all of that, but I don't want to do that. So why do I believe in God? I believe in God because of what I see and what I experience. You know, when I, when I go across an ocean or fly in a plane and look down over the Alps, you know, or when I, when I just look at a forest or a river or a waterfall or baby's fingers who were three days old. Do you know that? Or double chocolate cheesecake. Or rock music. All these amazing things that when they come into my life, I think, wow, it takes my breath away. And I think, God, there's got to be a creator behind all this thing. And when you look at creation, and I know some of you might be scientific tonight. That's great. You know, we are not afraid of science. You know that, don't you? We are not afraid of science. Science is a gift of God. And science tells us how things happen, but it doesn't tell us why and it doesn't tell us who. 
And you know, some scientists, not all, because a lot of scientists believe fully in God. Sometimes scientists would try and say to you, do you know what? Nothing created something out of nothing. And I want to say, wow, you've got more faith than I have. Because my faith is this, something created something out of nothing. And science might tell me how it happened, but my faith in God tells me who was behind it all. So I believe in God because of what I've seen and what I've experienced. I also believe in God because of some of the amazing people that I've met. You know, I've been into some huts in Africa. My wife has as well. Some of you have in Zambia and other parts of Africa. And I've sat in huts with kids who are dying of HIV AIDS and grandmothers who are looking after their kids because their daughters and sons died of the disease. And they're bringing up these kids in poverty and in desperation. And in the middle of that, they've said, now will you pray with us? Now will you sing? Now will you talk to us about God? Because their faith is so huge. And I look at them, I think, wow, you're in a hut. You're surrounded by poverty and death. And yet your faith in God is so huge. That makes me believe in the existence of God. And I've sat, <laughs> I've sat in some hospices and some hospitals next to some people as they breathe, breathe their last breath of life. That's a scary thing and an honour and a privilege. And I've been there when people have said goodbye to this world and gone to the next. And the peace and the joy as they've gone because they knew where they were going and they knew who they were trusting in is amazing. I'll tell you, it's a really defining moment that, isn't it? Pretty defining. And when I've been and experienced that, I thought, I believe in you, God, because of that. Because of the way that person just trusted you as they breathed their last on this planet. I also believe in God because of what I have read and studied. You know, the Bible is the most amazing book on the planet, collection of books. Archaeology and evidence around the Bible and the historical accuracy of the Bible is phenomenal. Read it, check it out. And I believe in God because of that. But ultimately, I believe in God because of who I've met. And His name is Jesus. And when I met Jesus for myself, when I was 15 and a half... And I met, you know, I knew all about him in my head. But when I put my life and trust in his hands, and I looked again at this man who lived so, such an amazing life, with such incredible teaching, but who died such a sacrificial death so that I could know God, I thought, wow, there is nobody on this planet who is more worthy of my love and my adoration and my life than you. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So I believe in God ultimately because of the person I've met and his name is Jesus. Now, none of that means that I don't have any doubts or questions, okay? Because I do. But what it does mean is this, that when those doubts and questions come, I know that my God is greater than those doubts. And so what I want to do this evening is I want to give you an opportunity. I want to give you an opportunity to say to your God again, if you know Him, God, I love you. You are an amazing God. And perhaps some of you tonight, you need to hear a word from God because you're in a prison like John. Or you're in a place where you need just to meet God and encounter God again because you're like Thomas. It's been ages since you met Him and you want to believe in Him. And all these other guys are talking about their experience of Jesus. Ever been like that? Ever been to church and thought all these guys are getting it apart from me? And I want to give you an opportunity to say, God, I want to meet you again. I want to meet you again. And you know what? If we hang around long enough, if we don't kick the ball away, but if we hold on and we run with it, God is faithful and He will show up. So why don't we pray for a moment? Why don't you just close your eyes? I'd love just to pray for you this evening. If 
there's anybody here and you know you're going through some doubt right now and you've just got some questions and some uncertainty and you're saying God I want to meet you I want to meet you God I need to hear from you again God I want to encounter you again I'd love to pray for you I don't want to embarrass you in any way but if that's you I want to ask you just to stand and I'm going to pray for you this morning to this evening as well (laughs) so if that's you would you just stand if you're saying yeah that's me I need to meet him. I've got some doubt right now and I don't want this doubt to get from skepticism to cynicism to being rebellious. God, I'll need to meet you. Then you just stand. And what you're doing is you're making that statement to God, not to me, but to God. And I just think it would be amazing, you know, if the people around you, if you could just open your eyes for a minute and just reach out to these guys and girls, would you? I'm going to pray so you don't need to do that. Just go and put a hand on them. And let's just pray for them. Father, we want to thank you that you are such a loving, gracious God. And Lord, we just want to pray for these folks who are standing right now. And we pray, God, that you would touch them by your spirit. God, if they are wanting to hear from you, God, would you speak? Lord, if they need to encounter you, God, would you encounter them? Lord, I pray that you'd show them that you are a loving God. And God, all the doubts and the questions that they have, God, I pray that they would release them to you. They wouldn't let them fester and grow, but they give them to you. And Lord, some of us might just need to say, do you know what? I don't know the answer to this and I'm going to put it on the shelf and I'm going to trust you anyway. Because this side of eternity, what we have is faith. What we have is faith. And so God, we want to put our hope and our faith in you, in Jesus' name. Why don't we all stand and we're going to sing this song. Just, I want to encourage you, invite you, not just to sing this song, but to worship Jesus with it. This song talks about the one thing that remains, you know, and the questions go and the confusion goes and the pain goes. The one thing that remains is the love of God. And the one thing that convinces me more than anything else that there is a God and His name is Jesus is the love of God that I've experienced from Him in others, in life. That even at my most painful moments to know that God loves me, so it takes my breath away and I know, 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 know that there is a God and He sent Jesus so that I could have a relationship with Him. So why don't we worship Him for His incredible love.